Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, November 11th, 2018 called Finish Well, Jesus in the Temple Courts, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 43 and 44. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. So this is an interesting passage. Many of you may have heard it many times. The story of a widow who comes in and puts in, and actually it's very interesting. The Greek word for what she puts in is called lepta. And lepta were actually slivers of coins. So you would take a coin and you would chop it up into pieces. Because metal was not the most common thing in the world, and so you would actually, because they didn't make change, right? So she would put, you know, you put a little thing in to get a meal or a thing of flour or whatever. So she puts in two little slivers of a coin, and for all time, all of Western civilization, this widow is honored by Jesus Christ, isn't she? It's an amazing story. But it comes at the end of something in which this is, this, is just the first, this is just the first day, really. There's one day here. It starts in chapter 11. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's on Sunday of Holy Week, Sunday. But then right away it shifts to Monday. He begins teaching. And it begins on Monday with him clearing out the temple of money changers. So Jesus actually is going to take on the money things. There's four of them in, in just this one day. He deals with it four times. Within about a 24-hour period, he deals with the money changers in the temple who he says, hey, you've turned my father's house of prayer into a den of robbers. Knock it off. That's inappropriate. The second one he does is he talks to us. They come to him and they try to trick Jesus and they bring him a coin. They don't bring him a coin. Sorry, got to get this right. And they say, hey, should we pay taxes? And isn't this interesting? He says, hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Right? They think they're going to trip him up. Because if he says yes, then he's supportive of the Romans. And if he says no, then he's a lawbreaker, right? And what's interesting is, remember who's in Jesus' disciples? He's got a tax collector, and he's got a a terrorist. He's called Simon the Zealot. He's got a, right? So he's got one guy saying, who's going to pay my salary? And the other guy is saying, how dare you give any money to the Romans? It's fascinating. And Jesus says, remember what he says? Bring me a coin whose face is on it. We'll give the money to him then. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. It's a great answer, isn't it? Because what isn't God's? Okay, anyway, that's another sermon. Then he takes on these really kind of religious, showy, religious people. And that's the first part of our text today. So first he throws out the money changers. They're cheating people in worship. They're changing the nature of worship. And then he, and then he uh, talks about taxes, right? Paying taxes. And then he takes on these really rich, showy religious leaders who actually are so showy, and yet they are finding ways to steal widows out of their inheritance. And they use religion to do it. It's bad, bad business. Jesus calls them out. And then the last one is people are making gifts. And please note, Jesus is not critical of large gifts. That's not the issue. He's not criticizing that they're giving funds to the church or to the temple, you know, the temple treasury. It's not that. What he's doing is he's honoring this widow. Wow, look at her heart. That's what he's talking about. So we'll talk about that. I want to talk about this because this is one of the ways we finish well. When I did my study on this, and if you have a Bible and want to open it up, great. I commend to you, by the way, Bible Gateway as an app for your phone. 
Or you can get all kinds of free versions of the scripture so you can look at your phone when you're coming along. That way you don't have to carry, you know, a very inconvenient. It's very inconvenient to carry God's word around, you know. But anyway, but you have it on your phone. You have it on your phone. You just bring it out. And some of it will have commentary and notes and things like that. It's cool. And you look cool doing it too, by the way. And by the way, you could probably sneak in a text here or there when the sermon gets boring. So anyway, edit that off of the radio broadcast. Okay, very good. So here's the thing. It starts in chapter 11 of Mark, the triumphal entry, and then here are all the things that Jesus is correcting in about a 24-hour period. This is fascinating. You study it, if you would. I mean, I commend that to those of you that want to use God's Word during the week. Go back and read those chapters, because here are all the things. Jesus is correcting how we receive the praise of people, because the people come to Jesus and say, tell your disciples to stop praising you. And he says, hey, if they shut up, the rocks will start singing it. And then he talks about authority and worship. He talks about the nation is withered up and dying. He compares it to a fig tree that doesn't, isn't producing fruit. He goes on to talk about, I have authority in order to interpret and apply the scriptures. He talks about what it means to be like a member of a church, right? A member, I'm a member. And because the Jews would go around saying, I'm a son of Abraham. And Jesus hammers him on it. It's a big deal, right? We can, make, we can make sons of Abraham out of rocks. It's no big deal. So, you know, so he's trying to correct that because they're taking great pride in that, that they're members of, you know, members of this thing. Um, he talks about their relationship to government and taxes, right? He talks about the resurrection in this section, all in 24 hours. And then he, he says, you're getting this all wrong. What's going to happen in the afterlife, eternal life, or is there going to be a bodily resurrection? He talks about the Messiah, correcting their opinion of Messiah. The Messiah was not a warrior king, but one who would come to serve and save. Um, and that he would be worshipped. And then he talks about generosity, a heart condition. He talks about, oh, actually, that's how I should have titled this. We should have a heart condition, right? So that's what this is about. All of those things he corrects. What's interesting is, after these words, then he takes up a whole other topic. He talks about the end times. And it gets really weird. It gets kind of weird. But he talks about end times. But this whole section is one section, and the last thing he talks about is this widow who gives a few pennies, a few cents. Why is that the capstone of this teaching section? And here's what I think it is. Because I think Jesus knows. By the way, there's no other single topic that Jesus speaks of more than of finances. And you know, people say this. I remember one church, a guy came out after I preached a sermon on giving, and he goes, we don't talk about that in this church. You know, I said, I guess we do now. (laughs) You know, I said, I don't know. Jesus talks about it. Is that... And I am, I am shameless about this. Sometimes money is a big thing, right? Oh, we've got to be secret and this and that. It ain't mine anyway. I mean, you know, so I think Jesus talks about it a lot because it reveals a heart condition. And so what Jesus is trying to do is speak to us here to say, you know what, if you get this one right, all those other topics that we're arguing about and that you're, you're contesting with me on, we'll get those right. If we get this one right on our heart condition, all the other things start to fall into place. It's not about amounts. It's not about if you get a building named after you. It's not about that. Praise God when they do. It's awesome. But what a blessing that Jesus cares about our heart. Okay, three points I want to give you on this. So the first thing is, Jesus talks about taxing. He also talks about tithing. So I've got, I've got to share some things with you on the, on the IRS. Here you go. See if, it's, see if you think these are cute. There was a voice on the other end of the phone and he identified him, the owner as a representative of, a, of the Internal Revenue Service. The caller asked, right, from the IRS, 
And he asked the pastor, he's calling the church, he said, did John Jones give $10,000 to your church last year? The pastor thought for a moment that he said, he will. <laughs> if there's anything that strikes terror into the hardiest, hardest of hearts, it's this dread acronym, right? IRS. Some people call it the Infernal Revenue Service. No, I hope no one, I, I hope no one takes offense at this, right? I, I, really, I don't mean to. It's just that, isn't this an interesting topic? Someone has said, you may not agree, forgive this pun, Dr. Mooney, you'll like it. You may not agree with every department in the government, but you really have to hand it to the IRS. <laughs> Good, huh? Good? Good? Makes sense. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Stop it. You're not, some, you're not allowed to editorialize, okay? <laughs> Another cynic has said, death and taxes may always be with us, but at least death doesn't get any worse. So... <laughs> Another guy once said, I feel honored to pay taxes in America. The thing is, I could probably feel just as honored for about half the price. <laughs> and then Ben Franklin said, in this uh, world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. The one we have to confront only one time, but the other, like Christmas, comes around every year. So anyway, the IRS has quite a reputation, doesn't it? And so, and here's the interesting thing. Why would Jesus talk about these two topics so close to one another? Taxes and then tithing. And here's why, I think. Evaluate this in your own heart and mind. If giving to the Lord feels like paying taxes, then we got a problem. You get what I'm saying? If giving to the Lord feels like, oh, I'm obligated, or I have to, or if I don't, someone's going to get mad, or there's going to be a penalty, or you see what I'm saying? If it rolls around like that, and I have said this to many people over the years, if giving, now C.S. Lewis would argue with me on this, and I'll, I'll tell you why, but I believe this. If giving causes you great heartache and pain, if you're reluctant and unhappy and it sours your, don't, stop, don't give. Don't give. I mean it, because it's hurting you. It's, it'll take you farther away from God. Now C.S. Lewis says, do it until it becomes a habit and you'll get used to it. That's what he says. And I mean it, but I really mean this. If it's hurting your heart, it should not draw you farther away from God. Your giving to the Lord should be thanksgiving in a way that draws you closer, right? So I mean that. Um, our, our bookkeeping and accounting people might be mad that I say that, but that's the deal. So here's the things that I want to talk about. I think that what Jesus is saying is if, we get, if, if, taxes, if tithing feels like taxes, we got a problem. What should it feel like? What should it be like? Okay, three points for you. Three things. And the first one, the middle one I'm going to do quickly, and first and third a little bit longer. First one is this. So when I was, when Teresa and I were in seminary, uh, we had sold our house, we'd moved, and it was interesting. We'd bought our first house in Seattle and had it for a number of years, and the market exploded. And man, we made, we, you know, we had all this equity in this house. And so we didn't know what to do. We were trying to sell the house, didn't have a buyer. Uh, at that moment, and then we had to go to seminary, and I had a tax, I had a, a, an accountant give me some counsel and said, well, can you carry the contract on the house? You'll get a regular monthly income, and maybe someone will buy it under those terms, and we offered that, someone did, boom. But the tax accountant, and it's my own fault, I wish he had told me, by the way, that's taxable income. Because then when I'm at seminary, and we don't, we're in seminary, we would look through the couch cushions for quarters to see if we could take our kids to get a Happy Meal. I mean, that was the life you lived. You just lived. And I bartended on the weekends, and I was just praying. It was, tips were good, you know? You were just praying that it would go all right. And so I get this bill, 
from the IRS, and it's official letter, certified mail, you have to sign for it, blah, blah, blah. You owe us $2,100. For me, that would have required winning the lottery. In the situation, financial situation, that's what it seemed like. It's, it was a mountain of money. I did not sleep for a week because the language in the IRS letter is stern. <laughs> stern. Threatening. And there's the rest of the story I didn't tell at the first service, by the way. I've got to tell you the rest of the story. And if I lose it, you'll forgive me. I didn't sleep for a week because I thought I was going to jail. I thought I was going to jail. Because I had no way of getting that. I said, we've got to sell a car. Even our cars, our two cars together weren't worth $2,000 at that time. They weren't Model Ts either. <laughs> at the end of that week, we had, about, we had about another week to pay this bill. They gave us like 14 days. And uh, we prayed and we prayed. And our home church, we get this letter from our home church. We didn't tell anybody. We get this letter. It has $2,100 in it. said, we thought you could use this while you're in seminary. I kid you not. So anyway, it was just a miracle. So praise God. But anyway, I still didn't sleep for a week. And I was nervous. So I was here, after I came here to Grace in 2007, six months in, Gabe Flicker gets a phone call, calls me in his office. We puts it on speakerphone. Some of you remember this. And we ha have the IRS. We had failed to pay payroll taxes for a long time. And the IRS says to us, we need $104,000 by Thursday or we're going to chain your doors. This was Monday. And so very swiftly and thankfully, and I just have to say this too, please know this, beloved folks here at Grace, I am not saying this because I think we're poor at giving. I give thanks to God. The generosity of this place to do ministry in this place has been st stupendous. Praise God. Miracles. God is doing miracles. But I talk about this not because we, need to, we want to increase the bottom line. We're talking about it because it's a hard issue. It's, a, it's an issue in which you'll be blessed as we, as we instruct on this. And if I avoid talking about it, I'm not helping you. So I want to speak to it as God's Word does. But anyway, our, you, this congregation was astounding. I mean, we met like the next Sunday. People said, I had a couple come up. We'll commit to that. We'll pay that payment. We'll do this. We had to restructure and do all this stuff. If you were not a member of this church, you never knew that happened. Because the total bill was almost a half a million dollars that we had to recover from. The people of God here in this place were good, and God was faithful. But I will tell you what, that phone call from the IRS was stern. I mean, it was, it was threatening. If you don't, we will do. That was the deal. And I thank God for our district. I called him. I said, I need $104,000. He said, we'll cut the check today. I mean, that was amazing. We were really thankful to be part of a larger church. This is point number one. Jesus is very, very stern with people who want to weaponize God's law. This is a word for us today, by the way. We have to be cautious as Christians. Sometimes Christians can be pretty self-righteous and sanctimonious. Sometimes Christians can look at the world around them and stand in judgment from on high. We have to repent when we do that. Because there but for the grace of God go I, right? Thank God that, I, that someone is not also standing over me and counting my sins against me. As Scripture says, you know, Lord, if, if you kept a record of sins, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness. 
And so too often is it easy to use God's law as a weapon. Here's where you're wrong. Here's where I'm better. Here's how you need to be punished. Here's how, and you can find those things if you want in the law. You can find them. And Jesus is hammering on him because the religious teachers of the law that Jesus is referring to here, he says, watch out for the teachers of the law that like to walk around in flowing robes, right? Be greeted in the marketplaces, have the most important seats. But they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. They were using loopholes in what they had, and Talmudic rabbinic law in order to take money that was not theirs. And they did it very piously, very sanctimoniously, and Jesus calls them on it because they were using the law as a weapon. They didn't just use it in this way. They used the law as a weapon against prostitutes, tax collectors, and anybody who they did not feel was as good as them, Gentiles and the Romans and others. And Jesus comes in and changes that equation. Now, here's the other end of the spectrum because there's a second one. Beware also those who would cheapen God's grace so much that it loses its value. Because the Christ died, Christ died for the very sins which he's calling out on the one hand. And so Christ's sacrifice was full and complete. Christ paid that penalty. And so on the other hand, I don't want to be like I was in high school and say, cool, I'm going partying on Saturday because I'm going to go into my Lutheran church and just say, oh, I'm really sorry. And you're going to say, I forgive you. And I wasn't really sorry. And I was cheapening what Christ had accomplished on the cross. I did that. And so both of those we want to watch out. In fact, what we're longing for, what Jesus is trying to teach is what the widow examples. She examples it repeatedly. What the widow examples is, it's a heart issue. I am so thankful. Look at how God has provided. In my poverty, God has provided. He has provided for my eternity, for my present. He has surrounded me with, and so I am give thanks. Because certainly by throwing in two little slivers of a copper coin, she ain't getting much payback on that. So she's giving because that's the condition of her heart. And so beware of those who want to weaponize God's law. And if we do it, we should repent and say, Lord, but for the grace of God, go ahead. It does not mean we excuse. It doesn't mean that we say all things are good. It doesn't mean that we call evil good or wrong right. But to be honest, let's let God make that call and not me or you. Don't weaponize the law of God, but rather live as grateful recipients of God's grace. Second thing, this one will be short. What do you, what do you give the person who has everything? Do you ever run into that at Christmas time? What do, what do I give this guy? I mean, so what do you give, you know, Bill Gates, you know, for Christmas? What do you do? Okay, I found ideas. Here you go. If you're struggling, take notes. Here's one. This is kind of cool. I take this. Oh, don't. Oh, I should never say that. Don't anyone do this. Okay, a sky bell. You know the sky bell? That's the thing. You, it's, a, it's a doorbell, but it has video camera in it so that you can spy on the people that are come up to your door, right? You know, and then yell at them through the little speaker that's in there. Anyway, you can do that. Okay, that's one. I think it's kind of cool. Here's another one. There's a glide away revolution tech pillow. I did not know that pillows could be technical, but that's one. It's, a per, it's like a, uh, ergonomically, perfectly created. All right, anyway, you can buy someone an ancestry DNA. There you go. You might discover, who knows. Here's another one. Here's, this one sounds like a torture machine. Anchor Power Core 5000. Don't uh, buy me that. Room, how about a Roomba robot vacuum? Or a Google Home Mini. That would creep me out a disembodied voice speaking to me throughout my house. 
Here's a good one, a bonsai. You can buy someone a bonsai, a bonsai. You know what those are, those little mini trees? Okay. What do you get a person who needs everything? This is point number two. God does not need your money. Seriously, God does not need your money. One of my favorite stories is when Katie uh, Luther and Martin Luther are living together. So they were gifted by the duke, the monastery, the old monastery, because there are no more monks and stuff living there. So Luther turned it into a school and like a boarding house. And Katie made beer and they had boarders and that was how they had an income. They made an income that way. Well, Luther was constantly, Katie'd go around the house and there was stuff missing from the house all the time. Well, Luther was giving it away to all these poor college students, university students. He'd give away the candlesticks, silverware, all this linens and all this stuff. Katie comes in and she goes, and she would see the student, she'd snap it back, you know, that kind of thing. And she would go up to Luther and go, what are you doing? And he goes, well, he needs it. And she would say, that's our stuff, you know, and she would say, Katie, don't worry. God is generous. He'll give us more. I I love that. God is generous. He'll give us more. And he's proven it again and again and again. So God has no need of it. I love this. Jesus sits down right across from where the offerings are, and they're big metal cones, like uh, megaphones upside down, and so they made a big noise. This is not in the Bible, by the way, okay? They did this so that the more money you put in, because it's all metal, right? There's no paper, soft, there's no soft money. So you put a big old satchel of coins in there, and everybody took note. And here comes this little widow with two little slivers of coin, and it goes tick, tick. And nobody notices, because she's invisible. God has no need of our money, but he's longing for us to learn how to give. Because when we learn how to give, we reflect most clearly the nature of God. God is a giving God in His very nature, from the very first word of creation to the restoration and promises which He makes through us throughout all the Old Testament, through the fulfillment of His promises in Christ and His offer of grace and mercy, unmitigated, undeserved, and unearned, our God simply gives again and again and again and again. So he's longing for us to learn how to give. Third point, third point. Giving reflects the condition of our heart. There's this great story I found on, so I have consulted churches on giving. I used to be a development guy, and I've helped run capital campaigns and stewardship campaigns and so forth. And so I went into this one church, and so this story reminds me of this, because the story goes of a financial consultant who went in to run a great big capital campaign for a church And they said, what do you want to do? And he said exactly what I would have said to them. We want to meet with every member to encourage them to to give. We'll tell them why, and we'll encourage them to give what they're able to give. Well, this is what he got. He was met with immediate resistance. One cynic at the stewardship meeting said that this church had a high percentage of retired people on fixed incomes. They couldn't be expected to pledge. So then this fundraisers asked for permission to see the list of all the givers in the church, in confident, confidentiality, right? Want to see the list of all the givers and what they gave. At the next meeting, he went to this committee that had been so cynical, and he says, I've got an analysis of your church's giving pattern. He says, please note that the majority of your top 50 contributors are widows and other retirees on fixed incomes. Isn't that interesting? And that is the truth, by the way. I've done this study in many congregations. So often the people you, less, you least think have the capacity and ability to give, give. And so he says, look at what this guy says. 
He says, I'd say if you want to improve giving in this congregation, you need to talk to those people first, find out why they give, and then try to infect the rest of the congregation with the faith of these people. I mean, that is a cool statement. They somehow get it. What did they get? What did they understand? And it's this. Giving reflects the condition of our heart. You know, it's funny. If you stop and you say, what's a reflection of our wealth? Right? If you had to stop and evaluate personally or your family, what, what, what in my life reflects my wealth? Well, back in the day when Teresa and I were young, and we, again, we didn't have any money at all, and we had to travel, you know where we stayed? We stayed in the Motel 6, baby. Motel 6. All the time. Every once in a while, I still do. Uh, if it's newer. <laughs> right? You get what I'm saying? But I don't stay in the Motel 6 anymore. I've graduated to, like, you know, the Hampton Inn. I'm good at the Hampton Inn, you know, or whatever it is, Holiday Inn Express, that's Jim's go-to, right? Or, you know, we, we got different places. I don't go to the Motel 6 no more, are you kidding me? I go to the Motel 6. It's a reflection of my wealth, right? It's a reflection, I can afford better now, you know? Now, heck, I, got a, I, have, I had a boat that's worth more than the two cars I had in, in, uh, in seminary, you know I mean? What's a reflection of my wealth? What I drive, what I wear, what I live in, how I spend my money, where I vacation, and so forth. Is that a reflection of my wealth? It is worth us asking this question, what is a reflection of my spiritual wealth? What's your spiritual bank account look like? I'm telling you, it's full to the brim. I'm telling you that you have an unlimited wealth in what Jesus Christ has declared to you. He has filled your bank account with uh, with, a bank, with, a, with a bank account that you cannot exhaust, in which he replenishes and restores constantly in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, our giving reflects the condition of our heart, and that's what he says to the widow. The widow realizes, and, and when we give our spiritual wealth, it comes about most joyfully, most powerfully, when we realize these two things, how much we have been given and how undeserving we are. When we recognize those two things, our giving becomes joyful. It becomes an act of gratitude instead of obligation. And that's how Jesus gave to you. Do you think that Jesus said, oh, I don't think I want to do this thing for these people. You know, I just don't know if they're worth it. I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll have any extra to live on later. Jesus gave in joy, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shine, that we might become the children of God. And that is who we are. And so God's grace is that our giving begins as a reflection of how he has first given to us. To God be the glory. Amen. Hey everyone, we have a few exciting events coming up, so make sure to mark down your calendars as we head into the holiday season. It does get pretty busy. Um, the first amazing thing is African Children's Choir is performing at Grace on Sunday, November 18th at 7 p.m. Admission is free for all ages and a free will offering will follow the Children's Choir concert. The African Children's Choir melts the hearts of audiences with their charming smiles, beautiful voices, and lively African songs and dances. The video immersion program features your favorite hymns with an African twist. Also. Uh, Angel Tree is coming up on November 25th. You will have the opportunity to pick up a tag at church on Sunday in the gym off the sanctuary. And for those of you who don't know what Angel Tree is, it is for children who have a parent in prison. 
and typically won't have a quote-unquote normal Christmas. And then the last one is for those of you who support our high school. There is a donor recognition dinner on December 1st, so make sure to contact the high school if you have any questions for that. And if you have any questions about this podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at gracepocatello.org.